Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio Extra Innings, and we are very excited today that we have Deb Busser, who is a candidate to get to talk to during Women's Equality Day. And we also have a special guest, Judy Mater, who is in the same district, and we will be excited to get her take on how things are in the community. Joining me today as co-hosts are Martha from Boston Red Cloaks, Linda from Indivisible Acton, Karen from Boston Red Cloaks. Happy National Women's Equality Day to all of us. Now let the celebrations begin. Deb, great to meet you. So glad that you're here and also welcome Judy. First of all, thank you for having me here today. I'm excited to talk with all of you, and uh, it does feel very auspicious that it's on Women's Equality Day, so it makes it extra special. I would like to know, you, you've said that your district is kind of a purple district, with the exception of incumbent. Is women's reproductive health care a priority in your district? In other words, do people approach you and ask you directly or tell you about their concerns about other states in the country that chipping away, chipping away at Roe versus Wade. We have an obstinate group of people in, on a joint judicial committee who are just letting Roe hang there. Yeah. And so I'm curious, do, do you feel that your, your district is aware of the, uh, the threats that are out there and if not, how would you change that? How would you actually en enlighten them or make it critical yeah. for them? So to answer your question, Karen, it is a purple district. So this particular district, just to give you some background, has been a Republican-held district for pretty much the entire time it's been in existence, with the exception of a 10-year stint from 1974 to 1984. And we, there was a Democrat then, but I've spoken with him once and I was like, are you sure, Bruce, you were the only person? And he said, yes, I looked back to the 1700s till, you know, the no, maybe the know-nothings had it. But it's been, in, in our very blue state, it's been a really strong Republican stronghold, I would say, for a long time. And currently, if the current representative has been in, in office for 10 years, Prior to that, the person was in for 15 years. So we're looking at, actually longer than that, we're looking at about 35 years um, since we've had a Democrat in this seat. So to answer your question, I think it really varies in terms of the awareness around, um, around the Roe Act and reproductive rights and the interest. I think there are some folks absolutely where that's a top priority issue for them. And I think for other folks, it's just not even in their radar screen. And, you know, I, I will say, you know, for me, it's, it's interesting when I was thinking about running for state rep, it didn't actually occur to me that we'd be talking about this, right? Like this has been settled law for, you know, whenever Roe v. Wade for, for decades. So um, I didn't really think this was going to be in the purview of a state representative. And clearly, as I've um, learned a lot more, I understand that it is. And and you were right. I think the, the current incumbent is on the judiciary and she has been a factor in stalling that. I don't think people, I think people may recognize that Representative Harrington is pro-life. I don't think they recognize what an obstacle she has become um, in terms of getting this legislation passed. I'm not sure they recognize the, um, the bills that she's filed in order to really restrict rights to abortion, um, putting in waiting periods, state-mandated state scripts that are really about delaying and stalling people and um, shaming women. And they really impact disproportionately women of color, women in marginalized communities. And so I think, so answer your question, a very long answer to your question, because I don't think the district, some people in the district are really involved, like our, our friend Judy here, um, are, and are really aware of what's happening. I don't think that that's the majority of the district. And I do think it's a certainly very important contrast that I will be making with the current incumbent. 
I'm curious uh, uh, for your perspective as a constituent in this district, which is, I believe is the, the first um, Middlesex district. Yes. So Judy, what's been your experience um, either with the incumbent or in talking with people about specifically reproductive health or anything else that you think is uh, would be relevant? I'm a liberal person and uh, I have felt very frustrated in my 34 years of living in Townsend that very little of what I believe in is what my representatives represent. I think that the people that I talk with are seeming like they want some change. I think young people take for granted that reproductive rights are there for them and are not really understanding that it is something that could be taken away from them. Um, I have in the past talked to the current representative state rep and I always feel like I am not in step with her as far as what we need here in our district. You know, I would very much like to see a more progressive candidate and I see that um, with them. One thing we notice is, and it is Women's Equality Day, which is marked the occasion of passage of the 19th Amendment, giving women the right to vote, is a lot of people get involved in campaigns and who are stepping up to run are women this year. And we saw in 2018 midterms, a lot of women stepped up and they flipped seats. So looking at you, Deb, how has it felt to you having gender play a role where the incumbent is also a woman and yet drawing from a very different set of values. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I think it's, it is interesting and I, I think it is a different, um, a different dynamic. So um, I will say that the current incumbent is perceived to be very nice. Um, she has a lot of practice in the area. A lot of folks know her. She's again, been in office for 10 years. So it really has been, I think what we've been really focused on as a campaign is trying to educate people because the, the truth is we have not had strong advocacy in this district for decades. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, what, and the result of that is I'm not sure that people understand you know, what they should expect from their state rep, how to hold them accountable. Like I, I'm just not sure there's a strong understanding of what an important role this position can play in our communities. You know, we have an opportunity to really propose legislation, not just sort of react to what's in front of us. We have an opportunity to request earmarks. That's not happening in our district hardly ever. So we're missing out a lot. And we're clearly missing out on strong constituent services. Our, this current incumbent is difficult to find. I hear that everywhere I go. All of that being said, there is, I think, a gender dynamic about how about being perceived to be right negative, right? So we've been trying to walk a fine line, I think, of, of not being negative. It's not about any person, you know, it's not a personal thing at all, but I think it is about um, educating the voters in this district to understand that we are missing out. We're just missing out on so many opportunities and um, they deserve more and they deserve stronger advocacy. What's it like for, in your district, for uh, women and young girls to have access to reproductive care information and or clinics and or procedure is it is it open is it available in your district i think it's a mix quite honestly so i think there are some towns that are even more rural um, so we're definitely more of a suburban district there is access there is not access to like some of the planned parenthood clinics that are in larger cities and in metropolitan areas within the commonwealth um, i do believe that there is still access within 
you know, I would say 30 minutes of some of our towns, but it becomes an intersectional issue, like, you know, in terms of transportation and getting to things that can be really challenging for folks in our district, um, depending upon what, what end of the district that they're in. So we only have one commuter rail station that's on the very eastern side of our district. Um, so I think there are transportation issues that, that come into access. And I, again, there, there are, you know, certainly socioeconomic factors that come into access as well. The incumbent is a Republican. So, and yesterday there was the, it was the RNC. And one of the persons talking uh, there, was, her name is Abby Johnson, was talking about women not voting anymore and just being the man of the house or the male of the house being the one to vote. And today that it's the 100 years of the, pro, of the act for women to vote, what would you be telling your constituents, your female mm -hmm. constituents and also male constituents? Yeah, so um, I must admit, I did not see that um, that reference. Um, I find it kind of, I don't know, mind boggling that that would be messaging in this day and age. You know, for me, I think, you know, women's rights are human rights. I have been just a huge proponent of um, advancing and empowering women for my entire professional life from uh, leading a peer mentor pro mentoring program for professional women to being involved in the Boston Club, which is um, trying to get women into board roles. Um, and the thing is, actually corporations perform better when they have more women in, in board roles, like it's a, that's a fact. Um, and I've worked on, uh, as an executive coach, um, I work with women leaders in, in corporate all the time. I also have done a lot of volunteer work mentoring um, women of color through Strong Women, Strong Girls, through World Pulse, et cetera. So I would say that my, um, my focus for decades has been on elevating and empowering women. And absolutely, one of the ways that we do that is by getting women in power. Like that is, um, it is good for everybody and it's certainly good for us. So I think, I think it's just continuing to, um, you know, we have, I think we've, I'm pleased that I've had some great role, role models and examples and, uh, and I hope to be that for folks as well. That's awesome. I know last night when, um, so Abby Johnson had this idea to go back to household voting, which means just literally each household gets one vote. And this is from like prehistoric times. People need to make their own connections between how the formal Republican party or the incumbent in your district speak about access to abortion as healthcare, reproductive rights, and the bigger, larger picture of what the Republican party, at least now in 2020, is painting as a picture of where women fit. Judy, I'm thinking of you as a constituent and a voter, how would that work for you? You know, how about if your community just had one vote per house? Uh, then I would get the vote. <laughs> <laughs> um, but honestly, um, that is uh, something I would fight tooth and nail against. Uh, that is totally unacceptable and like going back 100 years. I, I feel right now like we're in the 19... 40s or 50s um, with this current administration. And one of the things I, I think, Deb, I think about um, going to the state house when you win and finding that there's mostly men there and persuading them to be positive about the Roe Act. And, you know, I think a lot of times men just don't really think about it that much. So how do you, how would you uh, propose to get men more on fire about this need? I think that's a great question, Judy. Well, 
again, it's interesting. The folks that I know in the legislature are on fire about this. So, you know, there are folks like Jamie Eldridge, who is a senator for part of our district, Ed Kennedy, who also represents another part of our district. And so I do think um, those folks are very much supportive. Again, it's so interesting to me that the incumbent as a woman would be as obstructive and proposing like medically inaccurate like bills um, that are again a bit mind-boggling, um, but I think it's I think it's understanding that you know again women um, you know there's a, a lot of focus I think on um, equality and uh, and making sure that everybody has you know the has a there's a social justice I think. Uh, lens that's been opened even wider more recently. And I think women are part of that and making sure that everybody in our Commonwealth has complete access to help the healthcare that they need um, when they need it, where they need it is, um, is something that I don't think is actually that hard of a sell. I think, you know, there are certain aspects that people might pull out and tease and uncomfortable with this or uncomfortable with that. But the truth is, you know, when you actually talk about what the implications are um, of not having some of the things that are in the Roe Act and how they are disproportionately impacting women of color, women in lower income communities, um, I don't think anybody wants wants that to happen. And so I think there is, I don't know, maybe I'm naive, but I think there is a, um, a sense of wanting, you know, real justice across the board. Um, in our legislature for the most part. And so I think it's, I think it's making, making folks understand that this is just part of that. We, we need to remind many people that it takes two. I mean, we've also interviewed several uh, male candidates for office in the state and three of them have had firsthand relationship experience with their partner requiring uh, abortion care, health care. I take that back. Two have for sure. The third was overwhelmed to find out that the daughter of a very good friend of his had um, been diagnosed with fatal fetal anomaly after the 24 weeks. And this was almost crushing to him to, to know this because he knew that young woman uh, from for many, many years. So I think it's really important to bring men into the picture and remind them that they're part of this. And that also it's an economic issue for women. And you've mentioned, uh, you've mentioned intersectionality such as transportation, public housing, public schools and so forth. How would you help empower women with changes to those systems in your district? we've actually thought of a number of things that where we see there needs to be some attention around transportation. I'm certainly an advocate of faster and more aggressive um, investment in the MBTA. So again, we do have one commuter rail station in our system. Um, but the other thing is we have to get people to it. So, you know, we have to look at solutions for last mile, first mile. And how do we actually get folks to those stations? Um, we have um, several regional transportation authorities too with, that operate within the district. Um, and they're limited. There are a lot of constraints that I've come to learn about that don't make sense. So that, for example, you know, seniors who are in Ashby, uh, who do not have a senior center would be welcome in Townsend in the next town, but they're not able to cross the lines, although they are able to go 30 miles away for something else, right? So there's just a lot of things that don't really make sense when it comes down to really what people need in the community. So I think there's something about, you know, understanding where, and the good news is I think there's opportunity there. Like this shouldn't be that hard to do, right? But, um, you know, it's it's five, you know, it's five miles away, not 20 miles away where they're bringing people for doctor's appointments. Um, but I think it's looking at all of those issues and sort of saying, how do we get, how do we connect people so that they are able to access the healthcare that they need 
need so that they're able to, to get to the jobs that they need to get to, so that they're able to live in, in, in communities where maybe it is a little bit more affordable because there's a way for them to get um, to get their, to their to their work. So I think there's a whole host of things that, um, to your point, are, are opportunities within the district and they do fit together in, in many ways. Deb, I have a question about your experience. Um, encouraging women to be um, become board members and how do you see that translating into your work in the state house maybe getting more women um, elected to the state house or even more involved in other ways such as advocacy so a couple things i think you know yeah my background is very much um i've been an executive coach i started my career in human resources um, i've been an executive coach for about 15 years and a lot of the work that i do is around women's leadership so whether it's working with um, an executive in a corporation one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's being a facilitator for a women's leadership program, like those are those are the things that I do sort of in my, I guess my paid work. And then again, I've been involved in a lot of nonprofit organizations to to really empower women and of all the women, girls, uh, whatever it is. Um, but I I think a couple of things, you know, when it comes to to board members, um, again, that's also super important. It's it's better for everybody. It's better for the organizations. They actually become more profitable. So sometimes, you know, the money argument is the only thing that people listen to, but the truth is, you know, they also, they allow a corporate culture that is much more um, inclusive for women, for people of color, like in general. Um, and I think that that having those cultures and having women in leadership roles allows women to have more options than when it comes to their careers. One of the things that I have seen during this pandemic that concerns me greatly is um, as I've seen women starting to opt out. Right. So right now they're bearing, you know, unfortunately, they are bearing the brunt of child care and responsibilities and education responsibilities during this pandemic. And I have clients, I have a client who's taken a demotion already um, because she has, you know, 18 month old twins. The nanny is gone. Her husband has a job and she was, you know, a high flyer, high potential, a lot of things happening and she's having to opt out. So, again, to me, that shows you. Um, how our social supports, how our safety systems are not working, and that we've really got to figure out what we're doing around childcare, what we're doing around education, because we cannot be losing women. We've been making these strides, and we cannot now, because of this pandemic, because of our healthcare crisis, be losing ground. So that concerns me greatly, um, and I think it's, you know, I think we need women in, involved in really trying to figure out what those solutions are so that we can get the best of what our, what our communities have to offer. I have a more concrete question, and that is, um, it's not always, it was, hasn't always been easy to get a hold of the current uh, person in office. And um, so I wanted to know what you would do as far as being able to get a hold of you. And also, um, I know that our current person also is a lawyer. I don't know how full time she is, but she works. And how would you handle that with your current career? Yeah. So thank you for um, asking that, Judy. Um, if you listened in, you have seen probably a lot of um, a lot of communications from our campaign. But one of the things that we talk about is, you know, my commitment to being proactive, visible and responsive. And those three adjectives are important. They didn't come from anywhere. I think, you know, I really see an opportunity for all three of those things. So I think there's a real opportunity for um, the person in this role to be much more proactive. Again, my sense is that the current representative might respond to things as they come up, but there's certainly no outward energy coming from that office, um, which I think is really important. One of the things that I've been doing as I've been running for office is attending as many select board meetings as I can and meeting with fire chiefs and police chiefs and council and aging directors and community leaders and activists and environmentalists because I think you need those relationships 
in order to effectively do the job. Like you can't know everything, but you do need to know who in your district does, and you need to be able to pull them in to solutions so that you can actually be proposing solutions that I think um, people have ownership in and that are sustainable. Um, so in terms of um, actually accessibility, that is something that I've heard across the board is a real challenge. People are not able to, to, to reach our current representative. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I hear repeatedly and, and I think is really concerning. Often when people are searching out their state rep, it's because there's something really serious going on and they need to know that somebody is going to be there and it's going to, you know, be willing to lend them a hand because they, they have a real need. So one of the things that I will for sure be doing, in addition to attending a lot of the meetings that I attend and maintaining those relationships, is I will for sure be having regular office hours. Um, I am committed to being responsive. It is not acceptable for somebody to call their state rep and not, not get a call back. Um, and so that is, um, that's a key, key um, component of my campaign and, and what, I think, um, what I think our district deserves. How do we get a hold of you? How do we let people know how to find you and your information about your campaign? So the website is debforstaterep.com. And you can also find me on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and that's at Deb for State Rep. Um, it's F-O-R, Deb for State Rep. So um, yes, many opportunities for folks to, to get involved. As you might imagine, we've uh, shifted our strategy a lot in terms of trying to do voter contacts, but we're having a lot of success with phone banking. I think my sense is when we're reaching out to folks, they're beginning to, you know, one of the things, as you might imagine, when you're taking on a tenure incumbent, is just name recognition and having people know that they really have an option this year. And so um, particularly when this particular rep has run unopposed a couple of times. So we're working hard at, at getting the message out there, and there are a lot of opportunities to do that, but we're really encouraged by the reception that we've had to date. And uh, we just we just want to touch as many voters as we can. Deb, could you remind us what towns you, I know you're in the first Middlesex district. I can rattle them off, you bet, in alphabetical order even. So it's, um, it's Ashby, it's Precinct 1 of Ayer, Dunstable, Groton, Pepperell, and Townsend. Great, thank you so much. We really appreciate your being here, Judy and Deb, to give us a lay of the land in your corner of the state. Thank you very much for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you, we learned a lot. And enjoy, celebrate today. <laughs> there you go, absolutely. Hey, people can celebrate by going out to vote early, drop off your ballot, with your however you're doing, just wear your mask, stay safe, but don't waste that vote.